0: Morning, welcome to the Salon, number three, three. Tom, Catherine, John, they're in, hello, hi folks, hello, Tom's here, our biggest fan, welcome to number three Tom, (laughs) oh I can't hear you, it's alright, oh you're muted Tom, sorry you were chatting.
1: I was, just, I, was, I was just rudeness, so so okay.
0: So. <laughs> okay, great. Perfect. Uh, We've got Catherine as well. Hi, Catherine. Oh, we can't hear you either. We've got lots of beards, you're saying?
2: I'm missing a beard.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I, I forgot to put on the invite that you have to bring a beard with you. <laughs>
3: I'm looking around in the most creative way to say, how how can I like make a beard now? Make
0: it. You can make it with your hair, I guess. <laughs> Yes. Perfect. Hi, John Barnes. John's in and hi, Christina. If you, if you could pop your video on Christina, that'd be great. So we can, so we can see everyone.
4: Does uh, Christina okay. have a beard?
0: Christina. Hey. Have a beard. Hey. hey, Christina.
4: Sorry. I was not prepared for video, but okay.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. It's all right. You don't, you don't have to, if you don't want to, it's just. That's okay. It's
4: okay. Don't worry about great.
0: it. Cool. Nice. All right, I've uh, I've opened it up now. So if anyone else is going to drop in, then they they can drop in. Cool. Welcome to to business salon. <laughs> you can carry on doing that, eh, Catherine. That was great. Just trying to perfect my hair, beard there. <laughs> Um Yeah. Welcome to welcome to business salon number three. Uh, talking about talking about fuck ups today, talking about failure and and all the things that all the glorious things that go wrong. Um, Before we start, just wanted to let everyone know that we are recording this and we post these online afterwards. So um, if if you end up saying something that you don't want to be public, then you can you can let me know and I can edit it out. um, Or just kind of be be aware as as you're talking that that it'll go out on the internet. Um, And yeah, me and me and Andy were chatting earlier today about what the kind of vibe that we want from these things. Um and, and the vibe's been really great so far, and we just want to continue that really. So we want we'd love people to be as open as possible, especially this time we're talking about failures and and exploring that. So we'd love to love you guys to be open about your failures. Um we'd love you to be real as well, to avoid as much kind of jargon and, and business business nonsense as possible and just kind of get get to the get to the real stuff. Um and then, and then, finally, to be respectful because we we're, we're going to be talking about things that didn't work so well today, so uh let's try not to not to kind of bring people in if they're not in the room and 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 try and own our own our failures as much as possible. Is that about right, Andy? Sound good cool okay well we um while while some other people might pop in we'll we'll just crack on. We thought we'd start by uh with me and Andy sharing some of our failures um and then we'd love to hear some of yours and then we can just kind of open the open the discussion up pretty. Really. That sound good. Yes. And John, well, I run a business with John, So my failures, the two I'm going to talk about, are, are our failures, but you can bring, you can bring yours in as well, John, if you want. Um, and this, uh, Andy mentioned that this looks a lot like Bailey's. I'm not, I'm not drinking an iced Bailey's. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just an iced coffee. Mm. Cool. So the fast failure, uh, I want to talk about is the thing that we called the Flux Cells Network. Um, So when uh, me and John run a company called Flux, that is a, we're like a a consulting company, a small consulting company, and we help organizations to change the way they work. But when we started two years ago, um, and when we started, we had like slightly cocky ambitions to be, to like make, make, a make a mark on the world and be, be like, have a, have a big splash and yeah. Yeah. Be, be important, I guess. Um, so we came up with this concept called, called the cells, the cells network where um, anyone anywhere in the world could set up their own like version of flux of this company that we'd, we'd only started a few weeks previously. Um, and we were going to like share, share that with the world and, and get them to, to to do stuff wherever they were uh so we put this thing we made a little like web page for it and put it out on the internet and like it within a few days a hundred people signed up to be part of this uh this network which like didn't exist for a company that had only started a few a few weeks previously um but it was amazing like it was amazing to have like that kind of validation which kind of fed uh (laughs) fed fed this uh this like slightly cocky attitude that we, that we had. Um, but it was, yeah, it was awesome. So I started like calling these people and inter- interviewing them and saying like, what do you want to do? Like, what do what do you want do to, to do to start your, start your flux cell out in like, I mean, we had people all over the place, like, like North America, South America, the middle East, Asia, like people, people everywhere. Um, and yeah it was it was it was a failure because it just like it just didn't go anywhere really we we had this plan and like we stoked all this enthusiasm in people um and it just kind of fizzled out because we didn't really there, there wasn't really much substance behind it it was a thing that was like totally driven by this a kind of a misguided uh notion of like scaling rapidly and uh and having this big global impact when like we just weren't we were like nowhere near ready to do to do anything like that at that stage um so we just kind of had to like pull pull the plug on it all we had like 20 people in us in our slack team and it was like costing us loads of money and loads of time and it was really stressing us out so we're just like yeah we just decided to, to kill it kill it one day um yeah and it's a little i don't know it's, i find it a little embarrassing now <laughs> this this the cells thing but whatever we've, we've we've moved on from it um and the second one which was uh this Uh, thing that we were calling dream hackers was this course this online course that I spent like a month last year like a solid month building this online course to help um, people start companies and we like again we kind of went all in on it we were like right this is what our company does now we don't do consulting we like we run this online course and we we like had this plan to get can you remember what the plan is john we were like yeah within a year we're gonna have like thousand subscribers and we're gonna be bringing in like
5: it was big numbers for sure it was big numbers
0: big numbers like a nice big graph uh going up and to the right uh and yeah i put all this time into it and we went on like a tour around albania trying to pitch it to albanians uh which was mental looking back <laughs> actually um and then yeah, again, and we had one person sign up, um, and then we, like, embarrassingly had to had to just say like, "Oh, sorry, it's it's, it's actually just not going not going to happen because we we had to
5: give them their money back <laughs> as well."
0: Yeah, we had to give this guy his money back. Poor poor guy. Um, yeah, so that was a total failure and a, and a and a complete waste of my entire summer last year. But I mean, I, I learned I learned some great stuff uh, about how to build build online things, but. Um, yeah, it was it was a a glorious failure that one. <laughs> so that might two, Andy, what are, what are yours? Oh, good,
6: I get to jump in. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, like Jim said earlier, uh, we had a wee chat earlier about what was or some of the stuff or who we might position today. I went to an event last night that the Service Design Network ran in Glasgow, which was I think there was about sixty or seventy people there, which was quite cool, and they were talking about failure. Um and it was interesting because for me, I wanted to yeah shift the dynamic quite quickly so i 'm going to go quite deep quite quick with with two of mine um and not really talk about projects necessarily, but the sort of blend between uh, professional and personal um just to say, I represent uh, scotland's flux cell uh, which is cool <laughs> 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 so I'm, I'm I'm still owning that brand um <clears throat> No, so I guess I'll, I'll, do, I'll do two quite quick. Um, I think the first one for me, the biggest one, or one of the big ones that I'm reflecting on a lot now, um, because I have a cool group of friends I can talk to a lot of this stuff about was, early on in my career, um, I thought one of my biggest fuck ups was not being honest about how my mental health was impacting me at work and my relationship with the people I worked with and the clients I worked with. Um, I was quite fortunate because there was a company I worked for where I uh, started early and, and um, I was involved in running projects and working with teams and supporting people in those teams and I guess one of my biggest reflections from that was, was my role as a, a role model, or just just a colleague and a friend and, and somebody else in that team so if, if I'm not able to be honest and open about what's going on for me in relation to my mental health and how I'm feeling and the impact that has on my work what does that role model to the other people around me you know the, the fact that I'm saying I'm fine I'm good I'm fine I'm good and then suddenly you know I'm off for a week for an undisclosed illness um or you know like you make up some bullshit so I think that's the one of the, the my big fuck ups was not really being uh sincere about what was happening for me and what what continues to happen um in in relation to my mental health and how that impacts my work and I'm a bit more fortunate now because I'm self-employed and and I work with cool clients who uh, who I'm able to be a bit more open with in terms of that that relationship. Um, but it felt harder when there was a nine to five and responsibilities, and I had to turn up every day and all of that sort of stuff. So I think for me, that, the first one was yeah, what how I role modelled or how I feel I role modelled uh, my well being in in the context of peers and 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 people around me. Leah's joined. Yes. Hey, Leah. Hi, leah. we're just sharing our fuck ups <laughs> um and my second one uh, i'll do this one really uh, i'll try and do this one quickly too um and this touches on some of the stuff that was mentioned last night the event too especially by leah as well which is which is great because she's just joined um there was a project we were working on and and early doors when i was when i was doing this work um The the organizations we were working with were really interested in embedding designers in their organization to support culture change or um, mindset shift or whatever word you want to use for that sort of stuff. And somebody said something last night, which I can't, uh, yeah, if you've got a culture of fear, none of your fancy processes work. It was actually Leah who said it. And I, well, Leah said it and quoted somebody else. I can't remember. She'll tell me who the quote was later. But if you, So if you've got a culture of fear, none of your fancy processes work. And I was quite young and naive in my professional career then and really believed that uh, these fancy design processes that... We were selling to clients would would create change and um, make shit happen. And had a particular project, a number of them, but one in particular where um, where a member of staff went to be embedded uh, in an organisation, and we hadn't done any of the groundwork to to really understand if the space that they were going into was safe, uh, if they were you know what just what that environment looked like, because we thought, or I thought rather, I thought. all of this stuff that we'd done, we could put them in, plonk them into this this work environment and, and good shit would happen. Uh, and good shit didn't happen, bad shit happened. Uh, and relationships broke down, there was bullying, uh, there were tears from everybody. It was, it was a total shit show. Um, and that was because uh, I didn't respect um, the fact that actually before you put anybody into any kind of context in a work environment, I think there needs to be, there has to be groundwork and foundation work done to make sure that the environment they're going to um, is safe. That's that you know, they're, yeah, that they're respected, that they're looked after. Um, and coming coming back to this point around culture of fear, the organisation has it was a local council and it existed for a long time. And there there was I think eight or nine people. They described themselves as the Rolling Stones of the public sector <laughs> uh, which, which says more about their age than their uh, rock star style I think um, but that really that really was a, a has been a big a burden I still carry because um, I was responsible for running that project and, and working with the team members who were involved in that and my naivety and immaturity uh, as a designer and, and sort of project manager at that time meant that I wasn't careful enough about the environment that person was going into and, and uh, left them in a, in an unsafe place um, and so so I'm really excited to hear from other people today about their fuck-ups, their learnings and, and I guess from the, the crew that are here today what we can share and learn from that.
0: Mm. Nice thanks Andy. Cool let's open it up then so any if you've just got like thoughts or opinions on on sailing and fucking up share those or if you've got a a story you want to share or a confession you want to make, share that, share that too.
7: Just jump in if you want to jump in.
2: Um, I'm going to jump in in terms of the um, the topic of like not setting things up properly. So I was working on quite a sensitive project, um, conducting research and completely haven't kind of set ourselves up for debriefs and kind of looking after ourselves. And I think I was very much on the receiving end of of that being difficult, Um, which was a fuck up and something that I'm quite glad happened within the team and not with the client. So now when we're kind of um, bridging quite difficult subjects, that's something that we we very much like put into place um, at the start. This (laughs) My, this <laughs> is my advice. Oh my yeah. Straight
0: into the fuck ups. <laughs> <laughs> Straight in. Mm. Yeah, that's. Uh, but yeah, I think yeah, bulldozing ahead in uh, yeah, not always
2: a good,
0: <laughs> good <one. laughs> mm. Mm. I guess knowing like when, because sometimes bulldozing your head does work, I reckon. But sometimes, sometimes it just doesn't. And I guess mm-hmm. like fucking up is <laughs> is a good way to. To teach us like when when it's right and when it's wrong.
3: Mm. When you you bulldoze. Oh, sorry, John.
5: No, go ahead, Catherine, please.
3: No, I was just going to say when you bulldoze, I think you know that sometimes it's going to go wrong, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of part of the deal. So I'm very instinctive and I will get like ridiculous ideas and at the time and it's quite often you know late at night or in another time zone or something I'm like this is great we're gonna send Valentine's cards from America to all of our clients and like I did that and it was a total bomb and hardly anyone ever mentioned it (laughs) but at the time you know I was so excited and I'm like going down the post office to get stamps and but I'm like, I'm amused by it. So even though the fact that it totally bombs, I'm still like, well, yeah, remember that time we sent Valentine's cards? That was really funny. Mm-hmm. So faster, but really like, so I think I try now not to send quite so many late night emails when I have a really creative idea, because <laughs> I'm like, well, just write the email and then, yeah, maybe just send it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's kind of a part of the deal if you're that. If that's your nature to be sort of a bit crazy and creative and and yeah these ideas come when they come and yeah the downside like the flip side of that is sometimes it's going to be total shit and you're going to be embarrassed but you can laugh about it
5: i just want to build on this theme of um bulldozing or there's something about passion in here in a few of these stories Mm -hmm. and i i have um well early on in my career i had a temptation to always like blag slightly further than it was actually okay for me to blag. Um, so I'd often like advise, consult, speak um, when really it was like the job of someone with a couple more years experience than me um, to do that. Um, and to be fair, it never, it, I can't remember a time it really went wrong, but there's always that feeling that it might. Um, and I've definitely had it with other things, like the sales fuck up that uh, Jim mentioned, because that's also my fuck up. I uh, had it the other way round writing a book, feeling am I is it okay for me to do this or not, or am I am I about to go? Is my passion and are my emotions just totally taking over? Yeah, and what I, I think where I'm, it feels interesting because it feels like a moment where you could be taking a risk and stretching your comfort zone, and therefore it could go great. It could pay off. You could learn loads. You could boost your confidence or you could just like go straight into a wall and feel terrible and affect someone else negatively. Um, And I feel like a job that I have to do continuously at the moment is when I have like flashes of brilliance where I want to run to the post office or I've got some mad idea to like, I'll, I'll normally start writing an email, leave it in my drafts and go, I'm going to come back to that in a few days or I'm going to like meditate on it or I'm going to go for a walk. And when my emotional state is a five out of ten, then I'll decide if that idea I had when I felt over the moon was good or bad. So I, I, feel, I feel like learning to notice my own like pseudo mania and then decide what I'm going to do with that. Is is really important. Um and I've I've definitely not not figured out how to do it yet. I think that probably is a a skill of maturity and and growing up.
3: Yeah, I have a lot of draft posts in medium of things because I don't know what I think until I write it. So I I've written like a bunch of launch things about crazy stuff I wanted to launch or I was thinking about launching, and then I just leave them in drafts in medium and then Yeah, if it's still on your mind, then it's something to go back to later on. But in that moment, that frenzied, manic kind of moment, it's just like, just get it down and then leave it, walk away.
0: But do you want to build on that? Personality types here. It seems almost like there are people who, well, like John and maybe Catherine, like people who are like zero to (laughs) ten emotionally. Like, are are you guys more prone to taking risks and like potentially failing
2: than
0: like, I'm more of a kind of four to to six or like maybe a bit more, a bit bit more like three to eight now that I've been hanging out with John and my wife Ellie, who are like insane. Um, Yeah. I wonder if it's like, if risk taking and failure is more of a, some people are more prone to it than others.
3: But isn't that like the entrepreneur profile anyway? I don't know
5: maybe i don't know because i definitely i I definitely think what's coming up is an interesting recipe for a partnership because whilst um i I mean working with jim is amazing for me because i go zero to ten and when i'm a zero he's like things are actually all right mate Uh, and when i'm like an 11 on 10 and and it's starting to feel like a rockumentary uh, at, that, at, at that point, Jim's, Jim's a five, and he's able to say, "Cool, yeah, let's talk about that tomorrow, maybe." Or, <laughs> and and it definitely helps me be a bit bit less mad. Um, not to neglect that Jim has his own insanity, of course, but it definitely helps <laughs> me uh, to weigh mine off with his.
6: I'm going to uh, try and draw Christina. In. Hey, Christina. Um, because I think one of the fuck ups you made was asking me to design your website in Flash when we were at university together, which probably didn't last very long. Um, remember <laughs> that I built you CMYK yep. or some CMYK website in Flash. Uh, that was that was a dreadful, a dreadful thing. Um, but it was fun at the time. Yeah, wondering, wondering if you've got any thoughts.
4: <laughs> I mean, I kind I kind of sh- struggle with the term fuck up. I have to say. Um, we've just there's something launched um I'm based in Malma in Sweden and there's something launched here called Malma fuck-up nights where they have this Pecha Kucha style event where people come and they share and and I think for me there's not a lot of fuck-ups I love that website and it, at the time it made complete sense everyone was learning flash you know it's the same with you know everyone's on Flinto just now and we'll be on something else within two years and I think but, what I think we forget, and I think what, a lot of people aren't they're not trained to do it, and I think we don't take time to do it, is to reflect, because like nothing's a fuck up as long as you learn from it. And I think that's what I struggle sometimes with is just taking that time to go, okay, why did it go right, or why did it go you know wrong and what and what can we change about it? Because I think what you mentioned, Andy, with regards to kind of an environment, I've had a similar situation last year where, We weren't necessarily in the best environment and we weren't set up to have the conversations with the client that the client was prepared to do. And we almost lost some staff because they found themselves in their first time project and it was very stressful. And at the same time with what, um, I think it was Mia, sorry, I can't see the name, but we did the same thing with regards to research and we had no debriefing after having really serious conversations when I was working at Macmillan Cancer Support. And we then realized, okay, the next time we do this, but I think if you don't try and if something doesn't go wrong, then nothing gets better and, and nothing gets done. But I think, I think there could be some better... I don't know, maybe tools or ways in which how do you reflect and how can you make that part of your practice? Because I think a bit like documentation, it's something we all know we should do, but we don't. Um, So, I mean, I'd love to hear about if people have any suggestions for how they reflect on things that go right or wrong and how they take stock of that.
8: That's something that we're um, working on internally in Snoop, just between people who are interested in, in working in the open. So, where you might <clears throat> want to share something that you've done or thought about or, um, I don't know, finished with a client, it, that comes from reflecting, but also just generally documenting your work anyway, which is something we should be doing. You're right, we should every day just be like, oh, here's a thing that happened. Instead of scrambling at the end of a project, going oh, fuck. what do we do? <laughs> um, so we're talking about creative documentation and using illustration and film making and things that we're keen on doing, um, just personally, to capture throughout a project. Um, and then today we were throwing around the idea on Slack that a lot of us get stuck with our week notes or. Um, blog posts that we want to do regularly because we don't quite know how to say what we're trying to say. We don't know if we can say what we want to say. So we're floating the idea now of sitting down and not really interviewing each other, but just sort of talking and, and having prompts and then documenting that conversation. And then turning that around to either project documentation or something for the public. I don't know why we don't reflect. It's crazy and it's... It's like running at light speed, though. You don't have yeah. time to do it. No. But do you need time to do it? Does that make sense? Shouldn't it just be
2: woven into what you're doing? I don't know. I think that yeah. mainly depends on personality.
1: Yeah. For me to reflect,
2: I need to like, step out or yeah. have a break. But other people maybe reflect by speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so how yeah. do you a space yeah. for all different
0: types of ways that mm-hmm. needs to happen? I don't know. <laughs> mm. I think for me, like I, I think every organization I've ever worked in or with, like, feels like they don't have time to do mm-hmm. to reflect, or like, don't have time to do a good job, whatever. So, like, if we just accept that none of us feel like we have enough time, then, <laughs> then we can figure out like how how we're gonna build build this stuff in. Like last last week, I. I guess it could be considered a, a fuck up. Like I was, I was just feeling like really unfocused on Thursday morning and just like email, like message all my clients saying like, guys, I'm just going to have to not do any work today and tomorrow. Like it's just not going to happen. I'll be back. I'll be back in on Tuesday and I'll absolutely smash it. But like, I just, it's just not, I'm not going to be any use to you. Um, and like, luckily we've got, we work with some pretty good people who, who like, understand the importance of like mental health and that kind of thing and they were really they're really great about it and then yeah i had like a great weekend and today i've done i've been far far more productive than i would have been in those two days in like the first 3 hours of of today so for me it's about like it's less about like the amount of time and more about the quality of the time we spend doing things like i essentially had like what thursday friday saturday sunday monday of of like non working time but i I actually did far more work today than than i would have done in those in those four days because i was in the right frame of mind um yeah no and i'd
4: completely agree and i mean with regards to i think i think there's something we can even borrow from mental health like i think there's some really interesting kind of tools and techniques with regards to you know how you like in cognitive behavioral therapy, there's a lot around how you address situations and how do you reflect upon those situations in order to increase your confidence maybe around a certain topic or something, but maybe we don't apply. We kind of box things in. It's like, okay, I'll I'll use Trello for these kind of things and I'll I'll use my C B T methods for these kind of things, rather than maybe thinking about how could this help a a bit like what Andy's talking about, like if we if we do fuck up something at work that will remain on our mind afterwards and vice versa if we've had an argument with a partner and said the wrong thing or said something to a friend that'll then impact our work as well so it's I think whatever reflection tools and stuff we have it's about how do you how can we borrow tools maybe from other areas just to help us take that time to then learn and then make something make a change and make things better and as designers, we're so used to doing that. Like we do, we prototype and we try. And if something goes wrong, okay, let's try something else. But we maybe don't always, yet yeah, document that in the way that we get the most out of it. Yeah, I, Tom, just, I'm just,
7: I'm just going
5: to carry. Can I okay. just carry on
4: from there? I yeah, think
5: yeah, that, that that say what's on Tom's mind. The point on mental health really resonates with me. What well, you mentioned around CBT there, uh, Christina, because there are some. Reflection tools that really do use that, you know, you observe the situation, what happened, how did you feel, what did you learn from it, uh, and how are you going to apply that as an example is more or less um, borrowed from CBT. And as a journaling um, sort of tool, that really helps me. Um, the thing it, it um, I thought of as you said that was that it reminded me of in meditation, and it's now like neuro- neuroscience has kind of validated this, that there's... A difference between pain and suffering so so you can hurt yourself physically and that will trigger a part of your brain um but it's you're not suffering until the second part of your brain decides that they didn't like the pain if you can train your brain to remain balanced to that initial pain you don't suffer um and i think well to bring this back to failures i often have events that are failures. Um, and they're just facts that, you know, I don't know, I did something wrong. I, I, something that I perceive as being wrong or negative happened. But then my reaction to that uh, is the important thing. If I, if I decide that it's an opportunity to learn, then it's not a fuck up. If I decide that I feel one of the like more pointless emotions, like guilty or ashamed or embarrassed, um, then I've like truly created a fuck up, I think, in that scenario um and that is only within my mind like the event happened um it's only within like my subjective experience that I can hopefully like manage whether it's a fuck up or not um I I think that's that that's something that I feel I mean I'm sure we could all learn but I definitely like could could learn to react to those events in a way that makes them more constructive and less harmful mainly for myself really
4: I think that's really interesting because I think you do how you react to a situation massively depends. And again, kind of going back to Andy's point, when you're then working with a team, like what what one person will perceive as a a fuck up, someone else won't. They'll just brush it off. And then you're like, what? How how did you not imagine that to happen? And that's happened to me a few times, whether it's with groups of friends or it's with kind of team uh, projects where your perception of something going, you know, completely wrong. Someone else is like, no, but that went great because of this. So again, surrounding yourself with people who maybe have slightly different reactions or thresholds is then kind of good because they can help you maybe shift your perspective on something. And I think that's the type of thing that maybe starts to shift this culture of fear, either in an organization or in a team, because if one person doesn't fear it, then that positivity is maybe a little bit more infectious um but I think it's about sharing and about getting perspective because otherwise you're just trapped in your own kind of what happened Mm. here did it go well what what could have happened differently kind of spiral
5: you like triangulate your your perspective against a few others and you sort of tend to net out at like something that's probably more more accurate than than your raw emotions initially kind of decided on i guess in that situations where we create these these forums for sharing an example that i thought of when you mentioned perspectives there is when someone's late to a meeting you can be like incredibly annoyed that that person was late to the meeting and we're now 10 minutes late or you can say great i've got 10 minutes to like dawdle think but but the event is the same and yet our reaction or the perspective that you chose has made this this event like bad and' that's, that's just made up in our minds, I guess.:
6: I'm, I'm going to ask a question to the group in a second, but before I do that, I'm wondering if um, if Tom's got anything he wants to to share, because he's smiling and shaking his head and stroking his beard and just doing the Tom stuff that I want to. Hear him. I'm just looking at the words that have
1: been said here. I don't have any real examples of nothing I want to share, But uh, fear, shame, pain, suffering. It all comes from, from my point of view, it all comes from communication and expectation management. If you don't do that, you, you know, and a, and a point passes and you get more, and you think of, and internally, you're thinking about that one thing that up a fear. Something that won't happen, probably won't happen. Actually, they keeps telling me this. That's not going to happen. Stop, stop ruining over something. Stop, stop distilling it in your head, make it stronger. And it is all, you know, fucking up is internal, like everybody's been saying around the table here. And it's, it is about reflection. And why don't we reflect? We don't value it. Or, you know, who will work. You know, you, you talk about time. And so you, you finish something, you should have at least, you know, a period of reflection. But you go, no, no, let's go into to the next project. And it, it is about, what's the word? It's, it's about making something worthwhile and respecting yourself. And the use of that as an important period of uh, whatever the word is I'm trying to think about in my head.
2: What were you thinking? to um, well, maybe off the back of that as well, I think it's it's about taking stock for the better or for the worse. Um, I remember doing a project and um, kind of going to do like the final graduation with some young people and I think just before something kind of got to plan or I was quite a few years ago, I don't really remember what it was, but very much focusing on the negative and like that one thing that went wrong and was reminded by a guy from Israel who was like very much um, focusing on that being quite an English attribute to focus on the negative and, you know, not praise and not like self-love and be like, actually, I led a really cool project for two weeks and look at these people and how happy they are. Uh, screw the plan, like, doesn't really matter. But I think as much as it is, like, taking stock at that, yeah, that thing didn't work and that, that's what we can take for next time, it's like being like, congratulate yourselves as well for everything that did go right. And, and on um, John's uh, point around perception of, of the past and what happened, I was watching um, Dan Cartman's TED Talk on memory and couldn't perceive memories i can't remember exactly what it's called um but it's all about how we kind of package that up at the end and maybe if we do document as we go through we'll see more of the fun and more of the good stuff that you're not just then left with the end result that i think when it's small budgets and small mm-hmm. time scales, it's actually always unachievable
0: is that the peak end rule stuff where he does the um the test where they give where they like put Something. What's it called? Like when you have like a camera up your bum? Is it that one? No. no
2: but he's done so much.
0: Okay. <laughs> there's one. There's one like that. Anyway, like if the if the end of the experience is oh, no,
2: no, no, better, but no,
0: no. the total yeah. is objectively worse, then it, it's yeah. perceived as better.
2: Yeah. yeah. He, I can't remember the name of the procedure, but he spoke of patients who had had something up their bum, but for a short amount of time. Yeah. And, and then someone that had. Uh, a more gentle
7: experience,
2: but
0: for a longer amount of time. that is who had a more um, disturbing experience, and and I think it was the longer because of the memory. Um, yeah, yeah. The duration of the experience. Yeah. But, yeah. Yes, I wasn't going. <laughs> I wasn't just being rude. <laughs> I I have a, a a yes and to the the British kind of culture thing. I I guess it's a British culture thing because I think the, like our approach to using humor to deal with like, fuck ups or bad situations is. I I think it's sometimes quite useful like the the way we I mean I think it can also be damaging in a way to like hide away from from having real conversations but the way me and John laugh about like these projects that we've bulldozed into like it's become part of our shared culture as an as like a small organisation and I think it's I think it's useful to 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 twist these things that have gone wrong into into humour and laugh at them and and to to hold them quite lightly Rather than just kind of moping around, like I said, I think that that can be a double-edged sword. But um, I don't know—it's that kind of like the the gallows humor type idea that I think can, can be quite useful.
3: I love that whole self-deprecating British thing. But mm-hmm. I heard I heard recently, and I think it comes from psychology that you apparently, like, when you say I don't know, like, oh God, I'm so stupid or clumsy or whatever, apparently, like, your your mind's doesn't know that you're joking it, like doesn't understand that it's a joke so we're all there with our self-deprecating gallows humor and loving it but maybe it's still sending a message to to ourselves that says no actually i am like useless and clumsy or whatever yeah i can see
4: that no i think language is really inter- interesting because I, I caught a bit of the i don't know who it was but it was someone had done a ted talk and they were talking about how um how your language changes um, your action. So they were talking about how in 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 Britain we would say uh, you broke the vase, whereas in Spanish we would say the vase broke. Because in in English we have a large bra- like a blame culture going on, and how in Japan because there's not the same, I think it was in, there's not the same future tense. they're so much better at saving money, and and I think that is the the idea of blame. I don't know if that's what makes fuck ups harder from a uh, kind of British English perspective or not just because of how we talk about them and I think that's how we talk about them and just the fact that we will actually talk about them does make a a difference so we need to change the culture.
6: Can I jump in on that too then and ask ask a question I think it's really building on what Christina said there This like this idea of talking about them. I've got two things that are uh, that run through my head. Uh, I'll mention the first one first because it's quicker. I wonder. I reckon the average age here is about thirty-two. Tom Tom's made it quite higher, um, uh, but I reckon the average age is about thirty-two here. So I, my first thought was like, is is there something about our age that like our like the fact that we're a bit older that's allowing us space to reflect and and accept failure? And the second part, which is more a question but a bit of an observation too, I think. I'm pretty sure most of the world has seen the Ken Robinson talk on creativity in schools and stuff, um, the TED talk. Um, and he, I'm going to bastardise this a wee bit, but just, just to give it some context in here, one of the things I take from it is that we've built a system where uh, you're right or wrong, right? One plus one is two. If it's three, you're wrong, right? So this, this idea of, of how we're educated from a young age Um, is pass or fail. If you don't get your five A's, you don't make it to Cambridge. If you don't get your two A's and a B, you don't make it to Glasgow School of Art. Whatever we educate, right? So that's how we're taught uh, up till we're what, 18, 17, 18, 19? uh, If we're lucky enough to stay in school uh, or choose to stay in school. Uh, And then we get to work and so we've got this whole experience of like, uh, we have to be right like everything you know we have to be right through all of that all of that space and then suddenly we're at work and we well my I sorry I uh, still want to be right I want to be right okay I want people to know I'm right and to know that the work I'm doing is right and it's good and so my question to the group um I think which we've we've got what 20 yeah 20 minutes left 39 no 19 yeah um I guess, is what is failure and who defines failure? Because um, what I'm noticing from the conversation, actually, is a lot of the stuff that we've all failed at has allowed us to uh, draw some learnings and maybe some successes from as in I've, I've learned this thing. I won't do that again. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess it, and it kind of resonates from last night. I just wonder if anybody has any, any views on what is failure because the Oxford Dictionary says failure is not a success. Uh, and then I guess my question is what is success and who defines success but I'm going to stick to the first one Uh, I wonder what anybody thinks what 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 is failure
2: I think it's a
3: judgment it's all a judgment it's all a personal judgment I think I did well I think I didn't do well but you judge others I think my colleague did well my colleague didn't do well it's it's so abstract, actually. There are like real genuine fuck-ups that we make, like you know, real mistakes that everyone can say, like, ah yeah, that was really silly, but it happened because and we learn from it. I think it's all just a big fat judgment. And I've got 10 years on your average age, and I'm much less attached to being right than ever before. And I think that's I mean, I took a year sabbatical until quite recently from from my own. Indeed, consultancy to borrow Jim's terminology Um, and I think I mean a lot of the self-reflection and a lot of the personal work that I did in that time and also going into kind of mindfulness and all of that they are much much less attached to being right and I've seen
2: that the way that I interact with my colleagues now is very different.
5: I want to answer that question or give some some color to it from a school experience as well because you mentioned that Andy um and that was that my little boy seven went to a you know a directive school as i now know they're called which we which we've most of us been to i guess so where where you're kind of uh, it's a bit more directive and didactic the way you're taught um we went to a democratic school to try that and on his first day he he like genuinely freaked out like i could see him visibly anxious and struggling because of some tiny decisions. So one was some kids were working with paper landscape and some portrait. And the others was that some kids were wearing shoes and some weren't wearing shoes. And what he wanted, he was saying, John, can you, can you tell me what should I do? And so I'm doing the whole, you're not supposed to tell them anything. It's a gui- you're supposed to guide and not teach them. I'm like, well, what, do you, what do you want to do? And he's like, no, 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 just tell me, just tell me. And he's totally freaking out. And a couple of weeks later, he'd really dropped that. And at the end of the experience, put it on video, I asked him, what's the difference between this school and your old school? And like so succinctly, he just said, when my old school, they told me what was right or wrong in this school, I get to decide. And, and I think that like the fact that it's a seven year old saying that gives some perspective as to how we've all grown up with an external person or system telling us what right or wrong is rather than ourselves one of the things they taught us as parents in this school is that when your kid comes to you running and says, isn't my drawing beautiful? Tell me how beautiful my drawing is. You should let them decide whether they think their drawing is beautiful. So you should say, oh, I see a dolphin or I see a whale. Uh, are you happy with it? And, and put it back to them to decide whether they think it's a success or a failure rather than me putting that on him and then, and then him feeling like he failed or or whatever but making it our at least our own judgment although I agree Catherine it is still a totally subjective story that we've made up that
2: it's it's good or bad ultimately
4: yeah picking up in the school thing I actually wanted to to kind of pull Andy back in and see what what his experience is of um, people at Hyper Island because we've got quite a few colleagues here from Hyper Island where it, I feel like it's a lot more freer with regards to the um, kind of what you do there's not necessarily right or wrong you kind of choose the courses you're interested in and I'm I'm wondering from a kind of creative perspective like do you find those students approach the success or failure of their products projects differently from how how maybe like we did at GSA where someone's opinion base deemed it correct or not?
6: Oh shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so oh, justness and realness, Andy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, that's what Jim and I talked about in the phone. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go... Yeah, I'll... <laughs> um... I started working on Hyper Island six years ago, and about six years ago. And the reason I still work with them is I think the way, from an outsider's perspective, right. So I come in, I come in to support a module, right. So I support a a small part of the education system at Hyper. Um, and so that affords me lots of benefits in the fact I don't have to be in the rigmarole of being involved with hyper you know I'm not employed by them blah 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 I get to come in and do my thing and they employ me to do my thing which which is quite empowering and also uh, is, is great for me because uh, I think I do a good job I get good feedback and uh, from the students and the staff so I, I, the one of the things I, t- I used to talk about quite a lot early on about hyper was that what I felt that we were, we, we were taught, if you like, so for those watching, Christine and I both studied at GSA, Christine was a year above me at the Glasgow School of Art. What I thought, er, certainly early on in our, our education, was we were like, um, well, what hyper does is learning by doing. So the students were being educated through live projects. They were working with real clients. There was real responsibility and i think what what we were sort of being do what what i experienced certainly through some of the earlier projects was was um was different so i, I was i was being taught uh, in some ways by people who hadn't worked for a long long time and who had been in that education system and been teaching people uh, about yeah learning by theory as opposed to learning by what it's like in the real world um so one of the reasons i love going to hyper is that you know the, the mix of of students of demographics of cultures of it's just a melting pot of wonderful people who really want to shake things up and I think it's an interesting dichotomy because they still have to get a master's right that ultimately they're still they're still in a program where they have to pass or fail so they're still a right or wrong um but I, th- I think more broadly, there's a there's a there's a more open uh, open learning environment, which which allows me to do deeper, and more meaningful work, um, and I think allows the, the 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 people who come on to the Hyper Island program to not just explore who they are as as designers or creatives or where they want to go but but all it also forces them i mean it literally forces them there's the, you know way way weak forces forces people to ask questions about themselves that they've maybe never asked before and i think that's really 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 fucking important and is something that more of us should do um and yeah i mean maybe maybe you could punt that question to jim or john because they've both been at hyper way longer than i have uh and and like i said my involvement is annually and for about two or three weeks um jim was was uh and i don't know how long jim was there he can tell you and john as well so yeah be curious what their guys thoughts are because i know flux um my partner alex is really interested in redesigning education i know that's something that john and jim have talked a lot about through flux alex went to work for skills skills development scotland in glasgow and and she was looking at the future of education. I know that's something John and Jim have been exploring, and John just touched on there with, with his wee one as well. Um, so, but I'd be curious. I'd be curious to kind of draw those two in to, to hear what their thoughts are on on that too. Just to throw <laughs> to throw the stress that I'm feeling right now back to them. Uh, that's that reference to last night, Leah. Mm. Throw the stress onto John and John and Jim. It's not stress, but hey, We should I'm out. talk about that stress after. <laughs> um.
0: I suspect they might just define success in different ways. Like, if if success is defined in traditional education, like, is defined externally through grades or like getting a really good crit from your from your professor or or whatever. Um, I think I suspect at places like Hyper Island that the definition of what is success, um, like, become like. The, the the individuals own it a bit more themselves which creates which creates this sl- like a different problem um for people so so rather th- they worry less about grades but they w- maybe worry more about like their purpose and getting the getting the right job and like aligning their uh yeah their like life plan with <laughs> with their career and, and this kind of the, the kind of the the, the millennial problem <laughs> um I guess, that, that a lot of people are feeling now. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's kind of, that's, that would be my, my take on it. That, like, we, we all have different definitions of what success are. And if, if failure is defined as, like, not success, um, then, yeah, that, that just kind of shifts from an external an external definition of success to an internal one.
4: So just out, just out of curiosity, do you think one of one of our issues is we're we're not very good at setting success criteria? Because if we're if we're going through all this suffering because of these fuck ups that we have, is it because I when we enter something, our success criteria is maybe not realistic? Or maybe, you know, we don't have a success criteria as I want to learn something from this or something like is that if if failure is ultimately defined by how we define success should we be redefining what success is in order to not suffer so much through these
0: yeah my my, my opinion is that uh, well i i i've lived a lot of my life like not really having an idea of what success looks like of like not really knowing what the future is for me like past september or like past october is like a a hazy <laughs> a hazy mist I, I i have no like life goals really that are particularly concrete and that's like really comforting for me because like i i can just kind of go i can go wherever things things take me and i f- i really feel like i'm not failing because because like life's kind of unfolding in 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 its in its like random way And I'm not like I don't I don't have a a desire to be like a father of three living in living in a a country house with a yeah, with with like a Mercedes or something. So because I don't have that image of what success looks like for me, it is immensely comforting (laughs) to not have to work towards that. So that that definitely works for me, (laughs) the 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 kind an incredibly loose definition of success. But I know for others like having a goal and having a purpose and a direction is is really comforting and and makes them feel safe so i don't know i suspect it's just different for everyone
5: I'm, i'm reminded of two kind of principles here one is it seems that failure is negative or bad when we're attached to an outcome like when we're really attached to a particular expectation or outcome occurring and if you know the algorithm in your in your body goes if outcome does not occur then flip out and panic basically. And, and, and it seems that you can't feel like you failed if you weren't attached to an outcome. And the second one was if it's an externally given outcome, uh, like by, by an external system, like an exam or like a, like a pushy parent or a leader who, who expects too much of us. I think it's, I think it's worse as well. Um, and where the, where I would put the, the sort of education and work piece together is that there's a, there's a leader who is autocratic or, or guiding that is somewhere on that spectrum. Um, and what I think happens is that in systems where we don't let people um, get feedback from the real world. Um, so when we don't get them experience small failures or pains or, or whatever. So you hear it particularly with parents when someone, when a kid cries, you hear, don't cry, don't be angry. Um, and these are moments where you, you're saying, this is, this is you're, you're preventing that person from learning what it feels like to get through my own anger and through my own anxiety. Um, thus meaning it will be more likely to occur because I've not learned to deal with it and that it is a bad thing. It's, that it's therefore a failure. Um, but if we can be the kind of people, I think, who allow those micro events to happen and not just let them happen in an unsafe way but kind of compassionately look after someone in a scenario where something is difficult, but that person trusts us to somehow get through it ourselves through our own initiative. Then I think we get resilient and it's no like then I think failures off the table because every time it happens, your, your system is getting stronger. You're, you're getting better at dealing with something. And that's I think Andy mentioned that learn learning by doing or learning to learn is the is the kind of thing that happens there. And then I think failure is kind of off the table if you've been, if you've been brought up or guided that way to a degree, at least.
8: I think it's probably related a bit to, to the, the age thing. You were asking about um, whether or not us having this conversation and being mature adults about talking about failure um, has something to do with age. And I think it is that resilience and the experience that's been been built up um that gets you to this place where you can reflect or you do want to reflect and learn from your
2: failure um failure air quotes
0: Mm. yeah because by by being older you just kind of necessarily have to have have to have failed and learned a bunch a bunch of times
2: Mm. probably
0: (laughs) Or i guess a lot of people a lot of people also also haven't
8: and it's just a different
0: perspective on your whole life, really. Mm. And I think, like, being like, of course, we all have different, completely different life situations, and some, in some lives, like, where we feel more able to take risk. Like, like I, um, like, we we earn enough money to to be able to take risks with our business, and like, that's a really privileged position to be in. And some people, some people just aren't in that in that situation or don't feel like they don't feel like they are in that situation so i think it's like yeah if if like you have to risk to to fail or succeed then i think like your perception of what is risky in your own in your own world is 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 also different
5: i love that you're wearing a t-shirt that says the lucky club having (laughs) said that jimbo
0: (laughs) we can all be in the lucky club cool we've got two minutes two minutes to go go on andy have you got a you got a thought Go on, I was going to ask you to sum up anyway. All oh, right. In Definitely. that way that you do.
6: In that way that I do. Yeah. Um, or if
0: anyone else has any final thoughts before Andy does his yeah, summing up, that, we'd I'll love to hear them.
6: That.
0: If Steve, Steve, if you have any final thoughts, uh, you've just popped in here at the last 15 minutes. Uh, you don't have to. But um, yeah, anyone with any closing thoughts?
6: Go on, Steve. What have you got? I didn't even see you there. That's <laughs> why last night, though. Hello?
7: Hello.
0: Hi, Steve. Yeah, we can hear you.
7: Oh, you can hear me. Cool. Sorry, guys. I want to train, so this is going to be pretty poor. It's all right. Um, just... Sorry, I'm late. Uh, yeah, I think it's really, really good to catch the, the back end of this. And it's quite topical. We're, I, I know that Andy and Leah were at this event we went to last night, the service design event, talking about failure. Um, and, uh, sorry. I remember going on a studio tour. Uh, down in London, to a, a big studio, and uh, I think it was about twenty twelve. And one of the guys there was kept on talking about how much he'd, he'd fucked up and how much money he'd lost the business, and like joyfully was telling us, "Oh yeah, we made this app, and no one liked it, no one downloaded it, lost all this money." Uh, and I just thought, like, I came away from that thinking, like, "Man, that's it's crazy." But this dude was, I guess, ahead of his time. And I think there's not many, there's not many of us are in that position where we do have free reign to just experiment and fail. Um, you know, uh, I take it, I take some of this like some of this chat about not being afraid to fail with a grain of salt. So few of us are in that position. When you're working for you know a big organisation, you've got targets and and outcomes you sort of need to meet. And culturally, they're not really built to support that sort of. Um, that environment but um no it's uh, i've been really inspired by today and yesterday i think it's been really good so i'm going to stop talking because i know there's a lot of background noise so let you get on with it
0: thanks
6: steve okay andy bring bring us home what's your uh what, okay what so i'm gonna i'm gonna pull two or a couple of things from yesterday and then and then do this quite quickly um or i say quickly give me give me three minutes um there was a couple of things that stood out yesterday. One, uh, well, yesterday was called, an event about failure, right? Sorry, so yesterday, like, yeah. yesterday was, I mentioned it right at the start of the show. show. <laughs> We're on a show. <laughs> uh, yesterday, at the start of the, whatever this is, um, the Business Salon, there was a yes, service design network event around failure. Um, and somebody called Ian Crawford, who works at Equator, mentioned a couple of things. Um, one of the things he mentioned was uh, w, like WD-40, which I think most people, and certainly here and maybe listening, will know what it is. Um, and he told, he told the crowd that WD-40 uh, actually means water displacement attempt number 40. So they tried 39 times to get this, this formula right, and on the 40th attempt it worked. Uh, that was WD-40. Dyson tried 5,271 times, or he rather, he developed 5,271 prototypes uh, over 15 years before he launched this first vacuum cleaner. Which, um, for anybody watching, is a fuck ton of prototypes. Uh, Jim and I were just joking before we started. We normally encourage people to do two. Uh, so, so yeah, he, uh, Dyson, Dyson up to mark. Um, <clears throat> I think, on reflection, there's there's probably. Two or three things that stand out. Um, interestingly, I said reflection because I think that's probably the first one. Uh, what, what I've noticed from from the conversation in general um, is that it sounds like reflection is one of the one of the key things to. To us, making sense of of failure uh, or fuck ups, and, and that our ability to do that individually and collectively is is a really important and integral part of of making sense of it. So, so I this is I'm, I'm, these are kind of provocations actually, as opposed to reflections um, from the conversation. I, I don't I don't actually think failure or fuck up is a is a real thing because what what I'm hearing from everybody is that. Most of us learn something from that and and then have a choice uh, to do something different. If we choose not to do that, that's fine. Um, but most, a lot of us do. So I, I think reflections are a really important part of that. The second uh, is in John's point, which I think was really, really um, important too, that that actually, like, this, this idea that failure is, a, a neg- is, is negative when it's attached to an outcome, um, I, th- I think that's really poignant, because actually, I think for most of us, again, the work that we do and the work we're invited to do involves clients asking us for an outcome, right? And if we don't meet that outcome, then surely that's a failure. And in my experience, often... Uh, I might not reach that outcome, but other cool things happen, right? Like relationships are made, or bonds are made, or people grow, or people leave companies. Which you would think, well, that's a fucking failure. I do a lot of coaching, and people might leave their company after the work we do, and the company might think, well, oh, that that was that was pretty shit. You were coaching my member of staff, and then they left. But perhaps that maybe that's a success for that individual, but a failure, or or seen as a failure for the company. So I think on John's point. Our, and the final part is this idea of subjectivity, so that actually all of us uh, are equally responsible for yeah, our view on what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, what's uh, what's a failure and what's a success. Um, and and I think that kind of, kind of comes back to the point earlier around, I'm not sure there's any way to to say what, what a failure looks like or what it doesn't, because... Ultimately, I think what we've talked about through all of this is that uh, if, if we are willing to be in a space of reflection and learning and moving on from that, then there's an opportunity for us to do something different next time uh, and I, th- I think that's so I, I think for me Fuck-ups feel like an empowering uh, place to be because we learn from them and, and stuff happens from that so when we fuck up we have a choice and based on the choice that we make, we can then do something different from that, and uh, and that's a, that's a place of privilege and empowerment.
0: Nice, thanks, Andy. You failed to get that into three minutes. Good job. Good job. Empowering. Uh, thanks so much for coming, guys. Uh, we will explore the question for the for next time uh, on the on the little Facebook group. So if anyone's not in there, I can I can add you in. And yeah, thanks for thanks for all your stories and thoughts and, and questions in the video. It was a pleasure. We'll see you all see you all again.
7: Thanks guys, brilliant. Thank you. Bye.